0: Right,
2: Tonight on the readout.
3: This MAGA threat is a threat to the brick and mortar of our democratic institutions. But it's also a threat to the character of our nation. It gives our that gives our constitution life. That binds us together as Americans in common cause. The Biden team
2: weighs how to talk to voters about the dangers of Trump at a key time when the president is trying to lock in some of the crucial groups in the Biden coalition. Also tonight, my panel of esteemed guests and I are going to announce who won the year in 2023. It could be one of those accomplished people on your screen, or it could be somebody else entirely. Stay with us to find out. Plus, I will be joined by a major special guest. He is very much in demand right now. And in this business, We call this a good get. That's a tease. But we begin tonight with the fate of Donald Trump and his legal and political future, resting with the nine members of the highest court in the land. Today, Special Counsel Jack Smith responded to Trump's request that the Supreme Court reject a fast-tracked consideration of his presidential immunity defense in his federal election interference case. Smith wrote, The public interest in a prompt resolution of this case favors an immediate, definitive decision by this court. The charges here are of the utmost gravity. The case involves, for the first time in our nation's history, criminal charges against a former president based on his actions while in office. And not just any actions. Alleged acts to perpetuate himself in power by frustrating the constitutionally prescribed process for certifying the lawful winner of an election. A decision on whether the Supreme Court takes up the case could come at any moment. Also expected to land on the court's doorstep is Trump's appeal of this week's bombshell decision by the Colorado Supreme Court to kick Trump off the state's primary ballot. It is the first state to rule that pursuant to Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, Trump is disqualified from being president for his role in the January 6th insurrection. A decision on the appeal by the Supreme Court could have a profound impact on the other states where Trump's ballot eligibility faces a challenge. One impact already being felt as a result of the Colorado decision is the flood of threats aimed at Supreme Court justices via social media, including on many pro-Trump forums. NBC News has exclusively obtained a report from the nonprofit group Advanced Democracy that identified, quote, significant violent rhetoric, often in direct response to Trump's truth social posts on the decision. They include death threats, like this post, on a fringe website, which reads, Kill judges, behead judges, roundhouse kick a judge into the concrete. Another said, This ends when we kill these effers. Some posts also included the justices' email addresses, phone numbers, and office addresses. Sadly, it is an all-too-familiar pattern that gets repeated each time the twice-impeached, four times indicted, civilly liable for sexual abuse and defamation, former president is faced with the legal consequences of his own actions. I have a great panel for the hour tonight. Michael Beschloss, NBC News presidential historian. Paul Butler, former federal prosecutor, Georgetown law professor, and an MSNBC legal analyst. Aaron Haynes, editor at large for the 19th and an MSNBC political contributor. And David Jolly, former Republican congressman who is no longer, for some reason we cannot discern, <laughs> affiliated with the party. Uh, this is like a friends and family night. Uh, it we is so it. great to have all of you here love and it. these two gentlemen You're here, here with me at the table. Happy holidays to Thank all. You. Um, too. The Happy's and in scare quotes, though, this year. It's been a rough right. year. It's, it's a difficult a year. year and we're sort of rounding it down this year. But I want to start with you, Paul, on these threats. Are these threats legally actionable? I just want to Colorado Supreme Court Justice read a little bit more. This is one more of the threats that um, uh, after disqualifying Donald Trump from the ballot, some of these Colorado justices got. What do you call seven justices from the Colorado Supreme Court at the bottom of the ocean? Asked another user, a good start. Post noted a variety of methods that could be used to kill those perceived as Trump's enemies. Hollow point bullets, rifles, rope, bombs. Can people go to jail for doing
3: that? They can, depending on the context. This year, the country's getting a crash course in First Amendment jurisprudence. You can say a whole lot, but when you cross the line to threats, when there's an actionable danger of putting someone's life or health at risk, you can be prosecuted. And and let me ask you this, as a former prosecutor, I mean, it's part of your job to prosecute
2: scary people, people who've got friends that are bad people. Does this, to you, read as a higher level of threat for prosecutors, judges, even clerks?
3: It, It certainly does. So, you know, when you're a prosecutor, you know that people aren't going to like some of what you do. So you rely on security, but you also rely on law, what's called deterrence. So one reason these cases have to be investigated and prosecuted Because if they're not, it will open the door. We're devolving into this dangerous lawlessness in this country where a lot of people are questioning the legitimacy of courts. So this is really the time for prosecutors to step up, to do their job, to make sure that judges prosecutors, defense attorneys, and witnesses are safe.
2: Absolutely. And Michael, this is happening at a time when the Supreme Court, I mean, I cannot think of a more momentous set of cases that are coming before them. They've got to decide basic issues of whether a president can commit crimes, attempt a coup, have presidential immunity for anything he would do that would assume any kind of crime. Talk about the position that they're in, because they're not exactly held in high esteem Uh, at
4: this moment. For some reason, they are not held in high esteem. (laughs) One of the reasons is that Donald Trump appointed one-third of them. The first one was a stolen seat that was stolen from Barack Obama, who should have been able to fill it. Republicans in the Senate did not let him. The second went went, went to Brett Brett Kavanaugh, over whom there are still clouds. And the third one went to Amy Coney Barrett, which uh, she was sworn in as people were actually voting in the election of 2020. You know, that's a case where a president should have said— I'm going to wait at least until after the election to see if I'm reelected. Yeah. So that does not exactly add to the legitimacy of the court. And so layered on top of all of this is the fact that oftentimes in in history, the support the Supreme Court takes a long time, which obviously that's what Donald Trump wants. But they rise to the occasion when it's important. We talked about this the other night, 1974, prosecutors were licensed to say that Nixon should give up his secret presidential tapes. It went quickly to the Supreme Court. They made a ruling. Mm -hmm. Tapes were open. Nixon had to resign. Year 2000, recount in Florida. You know, George W. Bush was ahead by 537 votes by one recount. There was a suit to stop the Mm -hmm. recount. The five conservatives voted to hand Bush the presidency. Effectively, the four progressives did not. Uh, that is, those are two of the moments that yeah. tell us the Supreme Court at its best and at its worst.
2: Yeah, and Senator O'Connor recently lay in state. She was one of those five, indeed, um, and indeed. they got a Republican. And she outcome. regretted it later on. By yeah.
4: the way, I talked to her about
2: it. Yeah, that. absolutely. Well, I, I would imagine that she might have, because the Supreme yes. Court's not supposed to pick the president. Sure, right. That's, that's right. not the way it's supposed to work. And Aaron, you know, it, it strikes me that. The other thing that's unique about this moment is that Donald Trump faces a peril that is uniquely centered around the disposition of justice by Black women. Uh, you know, the the judge uh, in his D.C. case, the prosecutor in uh, the state of Georgia, um, the New York attorney general, and he is using that as a way to declare the entire process to be reverse racism, and to then pivot to the kind of open racism. That that used to be completely unacceptable in politics, but now he's doing it because of the way that the people prosecute him look, namely like you and me.
5: Absolutely, Joy, and I would add to that list. Uh, you know, uh, Shay uh, uh, and Miss Ruby. Uh, you know, who who just were able to hold Rudy Giuliani awesome account, yep. but but who but who he was also uh, you know uh, demonizing and attempting to criminalize uh, in in his perpetuation of the big lie. And so, yes, you do have multiple black women attempting to hold him accountable uh for uh you know the, the the big lie and also uh his activities on January the 6th and him using that to do exactly as you said to try to claim that he is actually the victim and that he is actually a victim of uh, of all things racism and uh voter fraud. So, uh yeah, I, I think um what's interesting is this Colorado case, which you said he's expected to to appeal, is yet another way that he's going to attempt to say, look, I'm being persecuted here. Uh, you know, y- you all should should uh ra- continue to rally around me. This is just further proof that I'm that I'm being persecuted. And also, I mean, just to Paul's point, uh, this is a reminder of of the political violence that is still looming uh as as we head into 2024 and you have um these judges, you have prosecutors that are trying to kind of muzzle the kind of rhetoric that the former president has been using uh, as a deterrent. But but it's certainly not deterring his supporters who are also making now these threats against the Colorado Supreme Court judges. So, uh, yeah, all of this is it's, it's certainly not something that is deterring him from from his behavior and his continued kind of allegations uh, yeah. that, that he is the victim here and that race is absolutely a part of that. And, you know,
2: it, it feels like, David, it is kind of the culmination sort of of all the bad things that sort of were the detritus and the Republican Party and used to be, let's be clear, the detritus of the Democratic Party before a lot of these folks switched sides, particularly in the South. And there just is a part of our country that we've carried along with us that has a deep racial animus and a resistance to change and a demographic panic that they just never seem to get over. They just carry it from generation to generation. The Republicans are gifted with it now. But I feel like the difference is Democrats, when they were stuck with these people, tried to find a way to pivot around them. FDR, you know, sort of in a way ruined parts of the New yeah. Deal in order to pivot away from them and say, well, we'll we'll accommodate them and not, you know, have agricultural workers get Social Security to try to appease them. But when, you know, when LBJ really got down to it, he said, they're just going to be on the wrong side of history. I'm going to turn against my own my own kind, the white Southern Democrats, and they and drove them out of the party by passing legislation. Like there was a time when parties could shift. It doesn't feel like the Republicans want to shift. Yeah. They seem to have decided that they kind of dig this new version of the party that is in many ways sort of a 1930s fascist party. And they're kind of cool with it.
6: Yeah, really, it's such an important conversation. And you're exactly right. In the kind of civil rights, post civil rights generation, you had both of the political parties, you saw chapters where they tried to rid themselves of kind of the cultural baggage of, of frankly, racism. Uh, And they tried to move, at least if they didn't try to lead against discrimination and racism and the systemic impacts of it, they at least tried to quiet it, right? You can think of even in in the 2000s with John McCain, the way he tried to treat uh, Barack Obama. But truly, what happened is the Democrats began to show leadership saying, we don't want this to be part of our party. Republicans said, it's okay that it's there as long as it stays quiet. And then the Trump era happened. And you can argue it started before then, certainly during the Obama administration. But what Trump did is he really mainlined this. And I think when we talk about the violent threat against the Colorado judges, when we talk about Donald Trump's language about immigrants, what we have to wrestle with is that he is unleashing as leading a cultural movement as much as a political one. They do conflate, they they cross over each other, but I think sometimes we do ourselves a disservice by suggesting it's just a political movement, it's not. It's a cultural movement where Donald Trump has used the vessel of the Republican party to bring back the vestiges of discrimination and racism and xenophobia, and that is on the ballot. It is a chilling moment going into this election that Donald Trump is using the language he is. That his followers are behaving as they are and somehow they're given equity because it's part of a political apparatus. And we suggest it's the same as the Democratic Party. It's not. One is a dangerous cultural movement. The other is a political coalition trying to raise up and bring up all people in an economy and a healthcare and in an industry situation that moves yeah. the country forward.
2: I I mean, I think we talked about this the other day. I mean, the the word radical Republican used to mean liberal. Right. I mean, mean, there was a time when they were the good In another eon. In another eon, in the Nixon era, I mean, the Lincoln era. But it, it is, I mean, it is, it has to be shocking for you as an historian to watch the 1930s happen again, but actually more overtly.
4: This is worse than the 1930s, because at least progressives in the 1930s thought that when they got certain civil rights legislation later on, or the vote was expanded, or some of the progress that we saw in the 1960s, that that was irreversible. Right. If we had had this discussion 10 years ago, would you ever have imagined that some of the rights that that were given to the American people by our system, but insured by the Supreme Court, presidents To women, Congress,
2: to, to black folks, are to being immigrants. being taken away yes. and
4: really threatened to be taken away if Donald Trump does get to be president again and does, as he has promised, become a dictator.
2: And the thing about it is, Aaron, you know, I think about a Nikki Haley who is in sort of the perfect position. She is polling near uh, Donald Trump in states like New Hampshire. She's now seen as forget Ron DeSantis. He was he never had a shot, but she's seen as the sort of most likely alternative. Even she won't say more than what he's saying is inconvenient and ill timed. Like, even she cannot call upon her own background to defend herself. Mm-hmm. She and Vivek Ramaswamy are willing to have their own people defamed by Donald Trump just because they're too scared to say no. So, I, I guess at this point, I'm not sure if there's a vestige of the Republican Party you, as a journalist, have seen that is willing to stand up to it and know Mitt Romney doesn't count, he's left politics. Mm-hmm.
5: Well, Joy. I mean, I do think it, it, it is important to note that that I mean, for the past several cycles, I've been covering uh, a Republican Party that understands that that using a racial playbook can be effective with you know a significant number of voters in the Republican Party. And so, if this is not what Republican voters are rejecting, it's certainly not something that Republican candidates are willing to step away from because it is politically effective, or at least it has been uh, for for the last several cycles. And so, uh, you know, I think that that is also an important point to make uh, as, as we are headed into an election where it looks like, you know, probably the, the uh, front runner for the Republican Party uh, nomination is, is somebody that we know is going to continue to use that racial playbook. So we know who he is, who are voters going to be in this moment? Are they going to reject uh, not only the rhetoric, but the policy? Because, right, you have somebody like a Nikki Haley who is ascendant uh, you know, people like Vivek Ramaswamy and even Ron DeSantis, whose you know main pitch to to voters in in casting themselves in the, as an alternative to Trump is, you know, well, you know, maybe you don't like the rhetoric, but but uh, you know, I'm I'm somebody that's still willing to carry forward um, Republican policies that also may be uh, harmful or seen certainly by some folks as as creating a country that is not as, as fair and free and equal. To all folks, but but the rhetoric for them is is the problem. It's not necessarily uh, yeah. the policy they would enact if they were elected.
2: And, and at this point, the rhetoric is Hitlerian. Like he's actually using Hitler lines. Like, come on, wake up. Is there a way that we can? Okay, we're going to keep this panel here. This is a brilliant panel. We're going to try to see if we can wake up your friends. Just clap at them. Maybe they'll wake up. My just think this panel's staying right with us. We're going to talk about the 2024 race a little bit more, but also NBC, new NBC reporting on the Biden campaign strategy to try to keep voting groups on board in the face of growing criticism. The readout continues after this.
0: Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater. And this is your wake up call.
7: We can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org slash future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future.
2: Back with me are Michael Beschloss, Paul Butler, Aaron Haynes, and David Jolly. Before we move on, uh, we, we mentioned Rudy. Paul, I want to ask you about this bankruptcy can he wriggle out of it? I just want to put up what he owes. He owes the IRS 202000 He owes uh, and, and $521,000 for another judgment. He owes the New York Department of Taxes and Finance. He owes his lawyers that he didn't pay. And then there's a long list of people that he also owes, including Ruby Freeman and Shay Moss, $148 million. Which of those things can he delay through bankruptcy?
3: So good news and bad news. The good news is this will force some transparency Giuliani's been really shady, including in this trial about where his money is. That's one reason the judge ordered him to pay up now. If he lies about his assets, where they are in a bankruptcy court, yeah, that's a crime. Going uh-huh. to jail. The bad news is it's going to take longer for Ms. Moss and Ms. Freeman to get paid. But Rudy's bankruptcy doesn't discharge his debt to them. There's an exception for intentional torts like. Defamation. Mm-hmm. So Freeman and Mall should get paid at some point. Yeah. It's just a question of when, but they'll be near the front of the line. And mm-hmm. make no mistake, Rudy is not broke. He's got an apartment in New York. He's got a condo in Florida and he's got money in the bank. And so at some point, if this $148 million verdict survives appeal, Rudy Giuliani is going to be working for Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss for the rest of his natural life. God is good. Won't he do it? I uh, <laughs> love
2: the idea. <laughs> Won't he do it? OK, let's let, let's 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 talk about Joe Biden. Let me play. Uh, this is a group of Dane County, Wisconsin, young voters was a critical state in 2024 for Joe Biden. Here are some young voters. The great Shaq Brewster interviewed them. Take a look.
6: Uh is funding this war. I don't know what will happen if I don't vote for him, but I know it won't be me supporting
7: that. On climate, uh, on COVID responses, you could tell his and his administration were doing uh, really great work. But I think after October 7th, the question became a matter of of human rights.
6: What's the best argument that you have for young
0: voters to support Joe Biden? The other guy is way worse.
5: (laughs) It's that simple. I, I think it is.
2: So, Aaron, this is a challenge for Joe Biden. And you saw the first person there, the young person, Gaza. I mean, we have seen just utter absolute carnage. It is very difficult to watch and stomach every day just covering it from here. But young voters are particularly angry about it. And then there's other things like climate change and other things they see as unmet promises. This is a problem, though, no, for the Biden administration. And I'm wondering how seriously they are taking it.
5: I think you are seeing uh, that, that it, it may be beginning to sink in. Uh, for them. Uh, we still are, you know, 11, almost a year out for, from this election. And so there is still time to make the case to these voters. And I think that you are seeing uh, in the way that uh, the president and vice president are are getting out on the campaign trail and really uh, taking this message to people and trying to hammer this home early and not kind of in the 11th hour shows that maybe they are not necessarily taking for granted these key coalitions that they need. To shore up, uh, particularly uh, young voters who, you know, are not necessarily going to vote for Trump, but need to be persuaded to come back out for them. I mean, I actually just wrote about this issue recently uh, in my column for the 19th Amendment to say, you know, that that Democrats are going to have to make the case. They're going to have to make the case early and they can't assume that these people are just going to show up. Uh, Young voters, women, people of color, immigrants, uh, particularly given that there is a lot of unfinished work on the agenda that they pitched to them in, in 2020, that they're wanting to see that work um, completed, but also need to be convinced that that this is the team that can get that done.
2: Yeah. And David, you know, it, I think it should scare every Democrat that Joe Biden seems to have put his political fate in the hands of one Bibi Netanyahu, who is an, an, an autocrat uh, wannabe, who yeah. stole control, wrestled control of the Supreme Court in his country and has passed some very anti-democratic, small d, laws in his country, and who seems quite clear that what he wants to do is just mow Gaza to the, to the, into the earth. And that is now the person upon whom Joe Biden's fate might rest with some young voters.
6: Yeah, look, I think Joe Biden has a lot of challenges ahead of him in terms of what issues he decides to strongly address and run on. You could make the case, I believe, very credibly that the continuation of our democracy, of our democratic republic, is actually the most important issue on the ballot. But it's not actually the number one issue. With voters, if you really look at polling and examine Mm -hmm. what they're most concerned about, you can take this issue of Israel and Gaza and recognize that Joe Biden has significant challenges. But is that the number one issue that's informing voters? Maybe for some younger voters, yes, but largely not for others. So how do you package all that together? And I think there is a way that it can all come together. I mean, the truth is, we know that Donald Trump, he, in his own words, is running for retribution and he wants to undo our democratic republic. But I think what Joe Biden has the opportunity to say is my administration is trying to advance an economy for all people, healthcare access for all people, education for all people, voting rights, protecting your own suffrage, equity and equality for all people, jobs, industry. We are doing all these things, but you can only be the beneficiary of those things if democracy is protected. And so we also have to do that. Because in a Donald Trump administration, winners and losers are based on political loyalty and whomever the chief executive decides is the winner that day. I think there's a way to do this. But Joe Biden has to focus on what voters are asking for, which is his priorities around growing an economy that represents their long term interests. I think the economy is ultimately what's going to inform voters. The other issues are important. Second, third, fourth issues. But the economy is going to drive voters, I believe, in November.
2: You know, I, I uh, let's you know, I, we love having a story at the table mm. because I think about Nixon. Right. Nixon was like the youth candidate. Right. Like he, he sort of positioned himself as the peace candidate in right. some ways, which was it, a lie. Which was a complete lie. And so is Donald Trump right. not the peace candidate. Right. Like, I mean, right now, I'm hearing a lot of people talking about this, you know, this um, to, to protect this coalition of European countries to protect the Red Sea. A lot of people are calling that pre-World War Three. Right. People are now looking at Donald Trump and saying, well, during his administration, there weren't all these wars. And you're starting to hear that same kind of Nixonian recasting this madman as potentially the peace candidate. Joe Biden is he is in this odd position where he's reliving in some ways LBJ's life.
4: He is. But at the same time, I think he knows. I pray he knows that this I I disagree a little bit with David, whom I respect so much, The economy is going to be extremely important. But ultimately, this election has to be decided. You know, do you voters want to live under a democracy or do you want to live under a dictatorship that's going to take away your rights? It's going to deport some of you out of this country in ways that we have never seen before and had a right never to expect. That's what's at stake. And so if Joe Biden is able to make sure that that's the real issue, I don't have any problem with thinking that, A serious majority of the American people do not want fascism. They don't want to lose those rights. If he fails to make that
2: point... I think the country has a real problem. And, and the question becomes, you know, the, the get out of fascism free card really is the six members, the conservatives on the Supreme Court. Yes. And, you know, it is. And, and I, I don't say I'm not saying what I think. I'm telling you what I know. Yes. Most of Republicans despise Donald Trump. Yes. Let's just be honest. Sure. They'll tell you behind They'd the scenes. They'd love to get rid of him. They want him frankly. gone, but they don't want their fingerprints right. on it. They right. want right. someone else to do it. They're right. too afraid to do it themselves. Here is the six people, the, the, the six the member majority, including John Roberts, who is the ultimate politician and a Republican politician in my in
4: and, and an the, enemy of voting rights and instance, an enemy—I mean, an
2: absolute enemy of voting rights, an absolute enemy of the, indiv- of the individual rights of non—you know—wealthy right. white men and right. non-corporations. However, as a Republican, he could do the deed and get rid of Donald Trump for these for his Republican friends. In your view, does he do it?
3: So a subtext of the brief that Jack Smith filed in court today, asking the Supreme Court to please expedite their decision, is that the trial needs to happen before the election. And this would be
2: the Jack Smith, right? The Jack Smith uh, trial on overturning the election, the coup trial. Yes, that's Right. right.
3: The federal trial, because it's information that the voters should have. So Jack Smith makes a big deal about how this is a historic first ever federal prosecution of a former president. Another subtext, though, is if Trump doesn't have the trial before the election and he wins, then he will either pardon himself or appoint an attorney general who will dismiss the case.
2: And that would be the end of democracy because then he would essentially be a king.
4: Oh, absolutely and he's already talked about it. You know, you'd think that if someone was going to do something as controversial <laughs> as that they'd be a little quiet and roll in that, right. the tanks after the inauguration. Yeah, but no. So if he has been this far in saying I will abuse the military to fire against citizens essentially, yeah. you know, I will undermine the rule of law and appoint of a, an attorney general who is my lapdog, I will undermine he doesn't put it in this language. Rights in a way that Americans have never seen before yeah. in our entire almost 250-year history, this is something that, if this is not the deciding issue in the next election, Americans have got an existential problem.
2: That is terrifying. Uh, scaring is caring is what we say on the show. It is a theme of the show. It really honestly is because we care. We scare because we care. Up next is something really <laughs> special. My panel is going to tell me their picks. Because someone did, y'all. Even as a bad year as this was, somebody won. <laughs> so we're going to tell you who won the year coming up right next. Uh, the winners of who uh, for the entire year. So don't miss it. It's going to be amazing. I trust me. Somebody won. <laughs> we'll <be right> back. <laughs> okay this is exciting as regular viewers know we end every week with a little segment we call who won the week well tonight we are going bigger my distinguished panel and i are going to tell you our picks for the entire year of 2023 so gang it is time to play aha Yes. Who won the year? Oh my God. This is so exciting. Okay. Back with me are all my amazing guests. Now let us go in the order that I have designated. My producers have designated because you know, I don't know who their picks are. Paul, who won the year?
3: All day. I agonized Jack Smith or Beyonce, but as president as of the lawyer's chapter. There's a right answer now. As president of the lawyer's chapter, of the beehive. Okay. I have to go with my queen. Come on. So, She won her 32nd Grammy Award this year. That's a record for any artist. Yes. Her tour. Over $500 million. That's a record for a female artist. Yes. Everybody knows she puts on a great show. Yes. But I don't think she gets props for being such a brilliant artist. Yeah. The Renaissance album, it rests on house music. It's giving Afro beats. It's yes. It's giving dance hall. It's radically inclusive. And that's the through line between all of our conversations today. Because it's pushing back against this white yes. male grievance that animates our Politics, the dancers—you saw the tour. They're yes, I saw the Houston. I went to Houston. Yeah, so Beyonce loves everybody who has the courage to be themselves. Yeah, when she says, "I might," I suggest you don't mess with my sis. That's a message <laughs> that Rudy Giuliani just learned. Oh, yes, he did. Yes, he Ruby did. Moss and oh, this is man. this is a tough,
2: tough, tough hill oh. to get over, uh, Aaron, because you are next, my dear. You
5: got to beat that. Who won the year? Well, first, let me just say that I did not have. Paul Butler as Renaissance King quoting Beyonce <laughs> lyrics on my video. I didn't either. I uh, didn't uh, either. Whatever.
3: Now
2: you know. So win like next year if he wins this case. I like
5: you, Paul. Shout out to you. Uh, let me also just say that uh, I initially predicted that this uh, 2023 summer was the summer of the black woman. But no, this was the year of the black woman. And that's whether mm. you're talking about Beyonce, our queen, uh, Shikari Richardson, uh two black women coaches Don Staley and Neal Ivy making NCAA women's college basketball history Coco Goff Simone Biles I could go on and on I mean <laughs> listen we know Our- when black women win it feels like a win not just for them individually but for black women collectively and yes. in a year that has felt so exhausted for so many black women I mean we're the color purple in droves yes uh, it, this is definitely the year that we needed uh, as black women especially headed okay. into next year
2: The winner, black women. All right, David, uh, it is up to you now. Tell us who
6: won the (laughs) year. One Hakeem Jeffries. And here's why. This was a terrible year for politicians. (laughs) Start on the Republican side. Donald Trump indicted four times. Kevin McCarthy tossed out of office. Five other Republican leaders stand, get humiliated and lose. Ron DeSantis started the primary on third base and (laughs) stole second. Nikki Haley still 30 points behind Donald Trump. Chris Christie done. On the Democratic side, Joe Biden struggling to to get his numbers right. Hakeem Jeffries Undefeated, Kept the government open when he needed to. Raise a debt limit with Democratic votes. Funded uh, the Department of Defense when Republicans couldn't. Joaquin Jeffries, the leader and the winner of the year.
2: And rewrote the ABCs. You left out the most important thing that he did. He redid the ABCs, and they were hot. Excellent choices. And now, to our esteemed historian, Michael, who won the year? The, the
4: heat is obviously The heat on. is on. I, I will do my best okay. not to screw this up. The winner— in 2023, who won the year, was democracy. Ah. Now, if we had said that 50 years ago, it would be a bromide. (laughs) In these days, democracy every single hour is under challenge. What happened this year? Jack Smith and the Department of Justice went out after Donald Trump for waging a military Possibly, or a a violent insurrection. Yeah, very probably against the United States indictment. Same thing in Georgia. And also, look at those Republicans who a year ago were saying we're going to use a majority of thirty or forty people in Congress to basically advance authoritarianism.
2: Ain't happening. Didn't happen. Don't have the numbers. Didn't happen. These are excellent choices. Okay, I had a runner-up and a winner. My runner-up this year. Who won the year? Organized labor. Organized labor. They got it done this year, whether it was auto workers, Hollywood writers, Hollywood actors, Starbucks workers all made it happen, raised wages and won the year. But my actual winner. Never mess with a praying black woman. Ruby Freeman and Shay Moss, now Rudy Giuliani works for them. These are praying black. You can't mess with any black woman, but when you mess with a praying church hat wearing black woman from Fulton County, Georgia, you're never going to win. Rudy, you lose Shea Moss and her mama, Ruby Freeman won the year. Thank you, Michael Beschloss, Paul Butler, Aaron Haynes, and David Jolly. And thank you, Ruby and Shay, for making us remember the most important people in an election are the election workers. Boom. Don't mess with them. Up next, a very special surprise guest. He is one of the most famous people in the world, y'all. He is swamped with work right now, but he has graciously agreed to take a few minutes to chat with us. See if you can guess who that and is. We'll be right back. This is Santa, and I want to wish you all a Merry Christmas. Who knew you could TikTok from the North Pole? Well, Santa Larry can, in between checking his list and making sure Christmas wishes come true. Back in 2016, Santa Larry was hired at the Mall of the Americas in Minneapolis as the first Black Santa ever. Well, he's just Santa to us. And again, he has carved out some time to pay us a very special visit from his North Pole studio. And joining me now is the Santa Larry, who just is Santa. He just is. Santa, it's so great to see you again.
8: Thank you, Joy, for having me. It's been a wonderful year.
2: Well, you know what? It's been not a wonderful year. There's been a lot of actually really terrible things happening this year. So I wonder how do you maintain your joy and your spiritual joy, given all the horrible things that are happening around the globe?
8: That's a good question. I just have to maintain my spiritual growth through my faith and knowing that God is in control and that good will always overshadow the bad.
2: Absolutely. So we know that, you know, tragically in Bethlehem, they've canceled their Christmas celebrations. Will the children in Bethlehem still be able to get their Santa goodies, um, despite the fact that the official Christmas celebrations are canceled?
8: I hope so and pray that they do. And I'm being honest, as I possibly can possibly can be, because our children need to enjoy the Christmas holiday and celebration. So yes, I'm praying for our children in Bethlehem.
2: Okay, and so if we ask for peace in our stocking, will we can we get it?
0: Yes.
2: Okay, good. So now we know that Santa uh, you know, your whole Santa enterprise was really slowed down by COVID. I know it was very difficult to shimmy down the chimney when everybody was like there all day. So like you couldn't sneak in, you couldn't really be sneaky. So how have you adjusted the whole Santa thing when it comes to things like the pandemic, things like, you know, just all of the changes that have happened in the last few years, how have you adjusted? And you, well, you and the elves and the reindeer, of course.
8: Absolutely. Well, Joe, we adjust by doing uh virtual Santa visit. Uh, and that was the best thing that happened uh, for America period for the children uh, was when we started doing the virtual Santa visits, So children can still communicate to Santa Claus and mm-hmm. uh, we would do the private settings of their home. I'm here at the North Pole. I would uh, uh, sell the appointments and we just do uh, the Zoom meetings. And that was fantastic. And uh, with the pandemic happening, it has changed the way America works, how the world works, uh, period. So a lot of people are still uh, working from home and uh, communicating through Zoom, WebEx, Teams, etc.
2: Well, you know, and we know that you are the real Santa, of course. This is why we have you on the show every year, because we want to talk to the real Santa, right? Obviously. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I-, I was wondering just, you know, when you were growing up, had you ever seen a Santa who looks like you?
8: I never did. And I was often wondering about that. And as I was growing up, uh, I started seeing all the magazines. I got a chance to see James Brown as Santa Claus on Jet Magazine. I got to see George Jefferson as Santa Claus on TV and <laughs> so forth on. And so I know if those guys could be Santa Claus, one day I could be Santa Claus. Yeah. And, and it so just starts we, taking off from there.
2: Absolutely. So when you hear uh, James Brown saying Santa Claus, go straight to the ghetto. Do you go, excuse me, get? are you talking to me?
8: Yes, I know, exactly. <laughs> you say, be you know, right and there. I, Yes, absolutely. And it was just it was it was just uh, it was a great time uh, during that time period when James Brown was making that music. So, uh, uh, yeah,
2: well, let's show a picture. We got a chance one year, one of our very lucky years. We got to interview Santa and Mrs. Claus. I think we have a picture of the two of you together. So we do want to ask there you all are. You guys look fabulous in your Santa, uh, you know, accoutrement. How is Mrs. Claus doing? And also, how is Rudolph and are the other reindeer allowing him to play their reindeer games?
8: Oh, well, Mrs. Claus is doing fantastic. Uh, She's having a wonderful time being Mrs. Claus and um, and run the operation at the North Pole while I'm away. Uh, And the reindeers, Rudolph is still the most famous reindeer of them all. And all the other reindeers are letting him play in the reindeer games. So we're having lots of fun here at the North Pole and we are uh, training the reindeers every day, getting ready for our big day.
2: Well, we're always excited. Uh, You are our favorite guest of the year. Every year, Santa, Santa Larry, uh, but a.k.a. just Santa. We appreciate you and Merry Christmas.
8: Merry Christmas to you, too, Joy. Now, Joy, I have a new jingle for you this year. Please. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride with the readout in my sleigh. (laughs)
2: I love it. I love it. I love it. And now that we know you have a TikTok, I think that we should like, I'm going to stitch a TikTok with you. I really, that's one of my dreams. We'll we'll have to work on that, Santa Larry. Thank you so much.
8: Absolutely. And 2024 would be my 25th year appearing as Santa Claus. And I'm going to make 25 city stops next year, you know, just in person per se. And I want one of those cities to be Washington DC. And I want to come to your studio.
2: That is done and dusted because if Santa asks, My name is Joy. Of course, I will say yes and see you next year.
8: (laughs) You're so wonderful. Love you. Many blessings.
2: We will be back in a moment. Was that not the best thing ever? We'll be back in a moment with one more surprise tonight. One more. One more surprise. I'll let you know what it is when we come back. Now, before we go, I would like to share a little holiday poem about our amazing readout team, written by me, with illustrations by my daughter, Winsome Reed, about a little studio prompter who came to life. And here we go. Ahem. "'Twas the night of the readout in Studio 5. All the people were stirring like a little beehive. Producers had written the blocks up with care, and Joy was on set with great makeup and hair. The graphics were graphic. the set was all lit, Trump's legal entanglements filled up the scripts. Sarah, Leslie and Julia had booked up the show and Caleb had notes printed ready to go. The mics were pinned on and the guests seated too. It seemed there was nothing much left there to do. When out of the prompter arose such a clatter, downtown Sterling Brown wondered what was the matter? Joy chattered away, paying no mind at all since it was commercial break time after all. But the prompter exclaimed as Joy started to sing. I'm the holiday prompter. Let me say something. I've got words in my belly and thoughts of my own. So let me exclaim them. Okay, here I go. On Durbin, on Tina, on Robert and Pete, on Jonathan, Adam, be quick on your feet, on Tori and Rachel like Swifties alike. The show's only started. We've got a big night. On Tiffany, Val, Alexis, and Kai. Before we all know it, an hour goes by. Jahan with the blog, Robert Lyon with teases, and Raven with tape and Lily's art pieces. Brooke, who's from Brooklyn, and all of the crew, Gary, Julie, Zach, John, and our wondrous A2s, Trey, Claire, Valentine, Matt, and all of our friends, so many to name the list might never end, Coco, Janice, Jason, Danielle, and Bales B, and, Dur- and Bernie, the Durbin, who's in NYC. And the prompter exclaimed as our showtime began, happy holidays, readout. Much love to you, fam. And that is tonight's readout, right, guys? That's tonight's readout. Happy holidays, everybody.
1: Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley.